This is the Hunt Quietly Podcast. I'm Matt Ranella. Brian Broderick, Day 6 Gear Company. How are you doing? Good, Matt. How about you? Good. You're snowed in today. Snowed in. Yep. Been a lot of work. Wyoming. You live a mile and a half from the nearest county road? Or you're on a county road, but it's just the last priority county? No. No, my driveway is a mile and a half long. (laughs) You're old. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. You want a ranch? I do not. Uh, I mean, we do have some property, but I wouldn't call it a ranch. Okay. Can I hold yeah. it? Uh, yeah. If you can, if you can think you can get um, something done on five acres, it's uh, all yours. Well, yeah. I thought the road <laughs> was a mile and a half. Is it like your property is just like a thin strip with a road on it? <laughs> so, so if, uh, if you had a, if you had a dream scenario to, to pick a piece of property to have a house on, um, would it be a mile and a half off the road, butting up to some primo public that basically your five acres is the only pastor to get to it? Yeah, actually, one of the places I hunt fits that description. So uh, this is what I've been friend looking for. A friend of mine has a cabin that gives me some pretty low pressure, like hard to get to access. Um, right. right that, I hunt, that I hunt some. Well, this place is, is so unique. Uh, we actually had another house under contract and uh, we had looked for two years trying to find something. And uh, we had another house under contract and this thing came up. And when I saw it, I thought, my gosh, if, if there's a place I've dreamed about my whole life, that's it. And so the property sits at the back of the mile and a half driveway is through a big branch. And then this property is at the back of that where it joins the, the public. Do you so have neighbors, sir? Do you have Do you have neighbors? Well, our closest neighbor is a mile and a half up. They live at the like the top of the driveway where the uh, county road is, and then um, we sit in the middle of this giant ranch. And they have, you know, the headquarters is about a, about maybe two miles away, and that's it. Okay, you're not causing habitat fragmentation out there, are you? Well, this place has been here since the 50s, so uh, I wouldn't think so. Somebody did, but not you. Yeah, it's, I'm it's a little a pretty sensitive unique. about habitat fragmentation right now because I just had Todd Wilkinson on the podcast mm-hmm. last night. And um, he, you know who he is? Nope. He has this journal. It's called Mountain Journal that's completely devoted to trying to protect the greater Yellowstone ecosystem. Okay. And so the journal is very, very much focused on issues surrounding that, that pertain to the greater Yellowstone. And he made a very convincing case that habitat fragmentation could spell doom for wildlife there. I don't know. I don't know that it spells wildlife around here because my yard is literally packed with 
uh, mule deer, whitetails, and then now elk. Oh, they 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 are they are in every direction. It seems like every day, um, and we only have, I'd say, between the two, the ranch that we live in the middle of, and then the ranch to the east of us, uh, they go way to the south. There's only, I believe, five homes probably in a hundred thousand acre area. Yeah, it's I hope it stays that way. Well, I do too. The 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 ranches here are very very old. One of them is one of the oldest ranches in the state, and uh, the families still maintain them and and operate them as true working ranches. So, I don't see those things getting broke up. Uh, I sure hope they don't because I, I like it just the way it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so great, tell me a, a tell me a little bit Tell me a little bit about your your company and, and your and your background. Well, uh, my background is um, uh, I grew up on the Gulf Coast of Alabama, um, uh, L.A., if you will, Lower Alabama, and uh, was in construction my entire life, and uh, always wanted to kind of spend the second half of my life doing something more as a quality of life uh, versus a quality of bank account type of business. And, uh, so we started day six in 2018, just out of sheer happenstance, if you will, almost got tricked into it, if you will. Um, Wait, what, were you doing, what were you doing prior to 2018? Construction for 25 years. Okay. Yeah. So, um, a friend of mine had started, uh, an arrow company in Australia. And he had these, you know, arrows and components designed for the big buffalo and stuff that they hunt over there with archery equipment. And uh, I started shooting his stuff when he they first came buffalo out. Buffalo in Australia, water buffalo, yeah, the Asiatic oh, okay. water buffalo. It's, yeah, it's there's a lot of bow hunting in Australia because the gun oh. laws are so tight. It's oh, and they right. can hunt. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, 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 yeah. You. What is it? You. You can't fly a gun there, is that right? Unless you have somebody that can. I'm not sure. I've never flown a gun anywhere. There's some weird. Yeah, there's, it's very complicated. I know. It is, but um, anyway, he wanted me to partner with him. Uh, I had designed um, our component system that goes on the end of the arrows. I had designed that, uh, which was a little better than what he had had. And um, he wanted me to partner with him and like the insert you design the insert. Yeah. The insert outsert system for our arrows, it's called centric system and it indexes on the inside of the arrow, but it still protects the outside. So it keeps it straight, but it also has the protection to keep the end of the arrow from mushrooming out. Um, How did you get into like design? I mean, I'm just trying to think like what it would take to design and build something like that is not what I've, several friends that are contractors what you would learn as a contractor or even have the equipment to do as a contractor so yeah how did you end so up? i've been a, <laughs> i've been a very hands-on uh self-performing type uh contractor guy my entire life uh, i grew up fly fishing on the gulf coast and uh I wanted to, you know, build my own skiffs. So I ended up building my own skiffs, built my own boats, um, always built my own houses, uh, built my own cabinets when we built our houses. I've always just been a real hands-on guy. And so as you develop 
you know, different skills and you get into things. It's just, you know, you kind of learn how to do things. And um, I built, you know, duck calls and things. I had a lathe and all kinds of woodworking equipment. And when I looked at how the components were designed that he had, I thought, man, I can, there's a better way because his indexed on the outside of the arrow, which is not perfectly round or straight, only the inside of the arrow is perfect. So anyway, What's an I just index? Kind of, huh? What's an index? Well, it aligns with, like it would align with the inside of the arrow, not the outside. So if you think about, if you think about, uh, um, you know how you bore sight a rifle? Yeah. They stick that rod that matches the caliber on the inside, you know, inside the barrel. Oh, because that, because the inside of the barrel is. When I've perfect. done it, it's just like staring down the barrel. I understand, but they make a, a bore sighter, you know, that, that has a rod and a little thing there, and you stick it on the inside of the barrel because that's what's true and perfect. The outside of the barrel is not. Oh, okay. You see what I'm saying? You're saying that when you bore sight a rifle, you put a, a, a straighter tube inside of it. A rod. A rod to facilitate yep. the bore sighting. That's right. And then it's got a little a little target, a small little target that is on top of that. Uh, so when you look through your scope, um, you adjust it to where, let's say that the center of your scope is an inch and a quarter from the from the center of your barrel. You set that, and then once you put that rod that matches your caliber inside, you look through your scope, you can adjust your scope to hit that little center target there so you know that at least your scope is facing true with your barrel. Okay. So your scope is indexed on the inside of your barrel, and that's okay. the same thing that we did with the inside of the arrow because that's the true part. Okay. Um, it's, and so I see. It's more perfect inside on the inside than on the outside. Yeah, imagine an arrow being like a roll of paper towels. Yep. And the tube is the true part, and then you've got all the layers that wrap around. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so once we got that done, we were going to partner on this business, um, and I was going to represent the company in the United States, and then he was going to keep doing Australia. And then um, it had the worst name of any company ever. It's called Zelor. Um, it's like, you know, it's like, this is the worst name ever. We're going to have to rename it if I'm going to be involved. You just pull so, it out of his ass or does it mean something or what? It doesn't mean anything. They just made it up. <laughs> so they thought it sounded cool, I guess. How but, do you know this guy? Um, I met him, oh gosh, maybe 10 years ago. Um, I had done a, uh, a traditional archery a film for the hunting film tour when it first came out, like back in 2012. And a friend of mine had, a friend of mine and I had, had done it. And uh, we filmed ourselves um, spot and stalk hunting with longbows and recurves in Africa. And um, cause everybody said you couldn't do it. You had to sit in water holes and all that stuff. But anyway, he reached out to me through that and just said, man, this is great. I'd love to have you come here. You know, you guys come here with your stick bows and, and, hunt buffalo with me i just think what you guys did was really artistic it was it captured what i really feel about hunting it wasn't your typical you know like hunting tv type crap so that's how we met we got to be friends and then he started this arrow thing and then long story short he called me up right before we were going to take off and said 
mate, I'm going to sell you this era company. <laughs> he said, I'm going into the kangaroo jerky business. <laughs> so, and he never oh, did wow. that, but that's, that's what he was going to do. And, um, but he, why, why so, did he want to be done with the arrows? He just was burned out on arrows. I, I think that he saw that there wasn't a viable market that he could make a sustainable living in Australia with it. Like it would be in the States. I see. And I think he, I think he would have worked really hard and it'd have, have been tough for him to do. So, and you guys are I, making like not wooden arrows, you're making conventional. It's carbon arrows. Carbon arrows, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then we designed the component system that goes on the end, the insert outsert that I was, you know, mentioning earlier. And so, you know, I just sat down with my wife and my family and said, hey, this is a, you know, either we got to do it or not. And man, my wife was all about it. She wanted me to get out of construction so bad because it's it's a tough business and long hours and takes a lot of money and it's very stressful. And yeah, like I say, I have several friends that that do it, and some of them that have stopped doing it. Well, I, two I, of my friends, one of them, one of them is now takes care. Of, he was in construction for twelve years, and now he takes care of all the. He works for our fishing game management agency and takes care of. Uh, all the fishing access sites out in in my part of the state. That's his job. It's right. like he he he, said, he he thinks of that as like the dream job compared to the stress of being in construction. Just tooting around, like taking care of these places, cleaning out the shitter. Um, if a tree falls over the road on the way in there, zipping that up, cleaning off the boat ramps. And then the that other would be guy, my dream job, for sure. The other guy I, is a I, cop. He went, he went from being a contractor to a cop, and even even being a cop, he says, is less stressful. It is. It is. It is. It's tough. I mean, it takes years off your life, and then you know we tried to do it at a really uh, high quality back. level. It takes years huh? off your back. It takes years off your back too, right? Well, <laughs> speaking of that. Um, in 2012, I actually had a building that we were working on. Um, it was like a renovation type thing, but anyway, I had a building we were working on and part of it collapsed while I was standing under it. And, um, it broke me up really, really bad. Uh, it was a miracle that I lived through it. They had to cut me out of it and I had to, you know, I didn't walk for six months and, you know, I turned 40 in a hospital bed. <laughs> so, oh. yeah. So, um, and that was 10 years ago. So I'm um, 50 now. So from that? Pretty much. I, I, I really need to get my lower vertebrae fused. Um, mm-hmm. There's no disc left there. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it's like, like for me, I'm thinking, okay, I can still do 90% of what I want to do. And I'm thinking it's like a set of tires. I'd rather get as many miles out of a set of tires before I put a new set on. <laughs> oh, I think you're absolutely right on with that. I was yeah. I was flirting with back surgery when I was 35, and I'm 52 now. Yeah, carrying, and my it was from carrying ridiculously heavy packs full of meat. That didn't help my calls either. And um, I I didn't I didn't do it. And I got pack llamas, and um, and I don't have any back problem anymore. 
but they would have on me. They were like, yeah, you need, you know, and then there's been two times in the last five years where my, my neck was bothering me a great deal. And I got all kinds of imagery done on that. And they're like, yeah, you need, you have your neck fused, man. But now like for the last two years, I've had zero neck pain. I don't know why. I, I did a little, a bit of physical therapy, not much, but it just went, it's like this, my, the way, I'd be curious to see if your brain works the same way, but I would think that some, once something goes down, starts to go downhill, that it would just continue downhill. I don't understand this where it bounces back. Well, I've never been a, I've never been a, um, I've never taken hardly any medicine at all. Um, I've had a lot of broken bones, a lot of stitches. A lot of my back comes from my early life. Motocross, drove race cars, um, boxed. <laughs> I mean, so I have I have horrible shoulders, horrible shoulders, you know, and bad back. And a lot of it wasn't just from the the accident, but it sounds like you my, deserve every ache and pain you have. I, I I do, but I've always lived with pain, and so when I started having these back problems, I treated it just kind of like everything else in my life of, Hey, see how far you can push it. And so I did go, you know, meet with a neurologist and we did the MRIs and all. And I said, Hey, can I hurt myself more? Can I cause permanent damage? Because the first that, time this happened, that is a very insightful question. That's the one I was asked. I was like, by not doing the surgery, are my future prospects more dim? Correct. And so not out of wisdom did I ask that question <laughs> out of experience from stupidity earlier. So um, when I had the, the first bout with this, this was about three or four years ago, um, I was in excruciating pain, but I was just pushing through it. And I went elk hunting in New Mexico and um, and just pushed it way too hard and almost paralyzed myself on the left side from the waist down because I'd caused so much nerve damage that it was it's, uh, severing the nerves, the disc was. And um, when I got back from that trip, I couldn't feel the entire left side of my body from the waist down, my left leg, basically. Mm -hmm. And um, fortunately, the what nerves... What year was that again? I'm sorry. Huh? What year was that again? That had been about four years ago, I guess. Okay. And so, um, uh, but fortunately nerves regenerate and they grow like hair. And so it, it has, um, they did grow back and I got most of the feeling left in my left side, but I still have like the left half of my foot. I can't feel. And then my calf is constantly, um, there's been so much nerve damage that my calf looks like there's a alien under my skin. It's con the nerves are constantly firing and the muscles are constantly oh twitchy yeah like the muscles are spasming and I, I like it yeah I have some of that in my right arm uh, yeah from my it's neck from my neck yeah that's so, right uh, yeah it's my right my right tricep is real atrophied and this that's it it doesn't fire anymore because of my the pinched nerve in my neck similar exactly like, so gotta, we, there's only so much tolerance i'm imagining anybody that listening to this is going to have to listen to uh, yeah fellas talk bitch and moan about their aches and pains but yeah uh, continue on 
No. So anyway, I just, when I went back to the neurologist this last time about the surgery, I said, if I put this off, can I hurt myself anymore? And he said, no, you have no more disc. Only thing you're going to have is pain, but what you've got is not going to cause permanent damage. So push it as hard as you want, as much as you can tolerate. So I thought, hell, I'll get a few more thousand miles out of the tires before yeah. I go swap them out. Yeah. You know? Are you so doing strengthening stuff? And like, I just, I, you know what? I work, still work with my hands, very active, uh, physically work every day. Uh, work, you know, I just, I, 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 like, I don't have any strength issues or anything like that. It's just, uh, I guess it's the spine where it rubs, but it's, it, it doesn't get worse and it doesn't get any better. So it's kind of maintained. So I'm fine with it. And, okay. and listen, we bought this property for llamas. I, I, I have two llamas that I'm picking up in the spring. <laughs> so, oh, no shit. Yep. Yep. That was my whole goal is to take the weight off my back. Because if I don't have, if I have 20 pounds or less on my back, I can walk into the ground. Um, you put 40 or 50 pounds on my back and I'm toast. I'm frogged out. <laughs> so, oh, where are you getting your llamas? From Bo Beatty. Oh, I hope you have better luck with them than I do. Like, Every llama I've gotten from him has been trouble. Well, that's great news. That's that's super encouraging, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm just a candid. <laughs> per- I'm just a candid person. It might be yeah, his crappy ones. I don't know, but I had one. He sold me that. Uh, he told me that it, it had punctured its like nasal cavity with a nail fighting with okay. another llama, and. Um, on a nail in the barn and he told me that the vet told him that uh that could be repaired if necessary and then i started hiking with that llama and it was a problem like that llama could could not get enough air so i took yeah. it to the vet i said oh bo told me i could get this fixed the vet's like there's nothing you can do about that so i had to drive yeah. that llama all the way back down to idaho Idaho Falls. Yeah. Yeah. Another one was so I'm getting getting, I'm getting young ones because I this was a young one. Oh, okay. Because the other one, I I, I had that one and his half sibling. His half sibling um was so lazy that I had to leave him behind on a couple (laughs) trips overnight and then come back for him the next day. And then the well, third one I've had from him, that one was lazy, but he was real bonded to the other ones. So when yep. he started laying down on the trail, I'd just leave him behind and he would eventually catch up because he didn't want to be left behind. Right. And then that one, this is a crazy story. So my mother-in-law is about as new agey as they come like this woman is she thinks she communicates with animals telepathically Uh she lives on a dude ranch has her whole life they have 90 horses there she's a horse trainer she's great with horses but she's incredibly new agey and since my wife and i got married eight years ago She's been fascinated with llamas. Now she's got llama tattoos. Lots of yeah. them. 
And she came out two springs ago to help me train llamas. And she'd seen pictures of the llamas. She'd met a couple of them. And, but there's this one, the bow baby llama, the, the one that w- would lay down and then catch up. Uh, that one was worth having around. He's just kind of a pain in the ass, his laziness, but he was real gentle and and kind of lovable. Uh, but she was communicating with that llama, that particular llama, remotely. Yeah, I'm making air quotes now. Communicating. Yeah. She's coming out, never been to my house ever before coming out to help me train llamas because I have some young ones. And she shows up in my house. I'm like, oh, great. Here's Mary. Uh, This is awesome. She's going to be here for a week. Take her out the pasture to meet all the llamas. This is this one. That's that one. Hey, where's uh, Keith? Uh Keith, One that you were excited about meeting. I go in the barn and there's Keith laying in the open part of the barn not looking good looking anything but good circling the drain huh circling the drain yeah 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 so we get him on his feet she's like no he might be foundering we should try to walk him and we walk him down the road a hundred yards he lays down takes two deep breaths and he is graveyard dead you gotta be kidding me No, that's about the most crazy thing that's ever happened to me. I've never lost a llama. That's the first I mean, I've heard dead of llama. Version. That's the first yeah. dead llama I've been around in what fifteen years of working with llamas or something like that. Well, I've heard of like aversions to mother-in-laws, but good grief! Yeah. So the point <laughs> is, you know, hopefully you do well with him. But if you don't, you should look me up because I, because I um. Oh, there's several things I could do for you. Well, I, I grew several up several things I could do for you if yeah. these two don't work out. Well, I grew One up. One thing with I could dogs. do for you is give give you yeah. give you two fantastic llamas. I have two that I want to give away. So anybody okay. listening to this, I have I wouldn't sell them because. It they, 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 I, I can't accept money for them. They have been s- such fantastic, hardworking llamas. But right. they're like 12. They're 11 and 12. And if I don't start focusing on these young ones. Yep. You know, so and they probably pack for another four or five years and they are fantastic. But the well, best ones I've gotten have been from like various crazy cat ladies around the little town I live in. <laughs> and I'm not joking. I believe like, you. Not, I don't believe in the breeding stuff. I, I just, my best, my best llamas are goofy looking, short eared, tubby, little like, you look at like a bow baby llama compared to my llamas and it's just like laughable. But my llamas work their asses off right no it's all about heart it is i grew up with bird dogs and you know you can you can breed the two 
you know, the two best dogs ever in the history of the world and get a whole litter of just biscuit eaters. I mean, it's just, you never know what you're going to get. And then you can just have some random dog and, um, you know, have just some random dog and, and, uh, it end up being the best dog you've ever seen or heard of. It's all about what you can't train into them is any animal is, is, uh, I got to get my cord and chart plug in here, but you, you can't train them to want it. And that's yeah. what people don't understand about any animal. It's just, I mean, you look at people that do racehorses, there's a reason they go through hundreds and hundreds of horses to find the one. It's not like they go by two and one of them's a winner. Right, 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 right. Yep, exactly. That yeah, that heart is the that the the heart is the unknown quantity that you can't predict or you can't breathe. It's like they either have it or they or 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 they don't. But like at a broader level, I wish I wouldn't have focused so much on that. Like the, at a broader level, I, I'm just I'm excited for you because. It's been, it's been so rewarding to me. Well, we've we've been so excited. Training llamas, working with llamas, has been so rewarding to me. It's like it's a it's a it's a huge part of the joy of mountain 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 hunting for me now is being getting to spend time with those animals and my corgi. I, I bow hunt with my corgi. Um, so, you know, I, I am excited for your new adventure. Well, we are too. It's, um, it's, I've always loved hunting with dogs. I've loved rabbit hunting with beagles. That's one of my favorite things in the world to do. Um, squirrel hunting with squirrel dogs is at the top of the list. Um, you know, pointers, uh, fat waterfowl hunting with retrievers. I've always just loved having animals involved. I've never had a great love for horses because I've had so many bad experiences on the mountain with horses. And then the second component to that is you have to carry so much shit for the horses. It's almost not worth having them because like the net that they carry versus, you know, what you have to, you know, the net weight that you, that they can carry for you versus what you got to carry for them. It's not worth it. Yeah. Um, my wife, you know, I've, I've often, I've several times, I said, why don't we take some horses? You got all these horses. Why don't we take some horses? She likes to go back in the mountains with me. She's just hangs around camp and reads like she doesn't hunt. She's like, why in the world would we take the horses when we could take the llamas? She's like, it's just too much work. It is. And that, you gotta have all this crap. You know, llama, as you know now know, I'm sure you've done your research. I have yeah. mine on one of those dog corkscrews that you screw in the ground. Absolutely. The That's 20-foot tether. Yeah. And I've had them go eight days without drinking a drop of water. Yeah, th- I've hunted with them before. I mean, they're oh they're okay. uh yeah, I mean it's it, it it for me, what I want is 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 I'm literally looking for an animal that is happy to be there loves where they're at, loves being there with you. But when you leave to go hunt, you don't have to worry about coming back to everything just screwed up as a square BB. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Cause I've come back to camp where horses have got hung up 
you know, hung up in their lines or whatever, and then they've torn half the tents down, and then you spend two days tracking them. And um, yeah, I did have my sack. My one, I had my first two llamas, Timmy and Haggy. They were brother and sister, and she, Haggy, had this hat, this penchant for getting loose once in a while, and when she did, she would run back to the truck. That's awful. At least she just didn't run off into the hinterlands. Like she just yeah. follow her smell back. One time I had her up on Fort Peck Reservoir, this friend of mine, and I we put the two llamas in a boat and then putted up, not putted up, we jammed up the reservoir several miles and then hiked in. And she got loose from our camp and she ran back to the boat. Like just really? smelled her tracks back to the boat. But yeah. Yep. But like I'll leave in the I've never left them overnight. I've never done that. I would. I just never have. I would be a little uncomfortable, but I leave in the dark and I come back in the dark. And I've never once in a while one of them will pull their picket and you gotta look around for them a little bit, but they're so damn bad. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm excited about it for sure. Yeah, and you'll yeah, yeah. If you you've been around them, you know, you know. Well, I'm going to pick your brain a lot uh, oh, in the next few months. Please do. Please <laughs> I will. Do. I've got I've got a lot of opinions about that stuff. Yeah, you know. So, um, anyway, where should we go now? You you, <laughs> you have this company, yeah, and you know a little bit about my what what I've been saying and my concerns about the future of hunting. And yeah. gather that some of that resonates with you. What resonates with you about what I'm trying to do? Well, what resonates with me is um, how the, the, the one of the main reasons I wanted to get into this business is the same reason that we did that little film in 2012, is I wanted to provide uh, a little bit of opposite weight for the pendulum. I wanted to swing the pendulum the other way uh, for how most of the quote public or social media hunters or TV hunters represent hunting. It just, it's not what it means to me. And I just felt like for me, more than anything, it's not as much the future of hunting. It's not as much um, any of the other you know, ancillary, you know, um, famous tagline issues you have, you know, that they're out there with all the different fragments and segmentations, with all these different groups. For me, it's something that I love it so much. It just hurts to see it represented so poorly. I love something yeah. so much. It just. Um, so what are the things? Know, so give me some examples of things that really are burrs under your foreskin? Like when you, what do you see that just is like, that is wrong? Well, number one, like one of the things that, that I wanted to do as far as like from a company standpoint is be respectful. And when you look at a lot of the, the companies <coughs> out there, as far as, you know, in the industry producing products, when they name the product, the product is so disrespectful 
to hunting and to the animal itself. Um, okay, so you got the you just shot something, and it's like if it wasn't for my well, no, 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 for broadheads, no. I would never well, yeah. kill this animal, sort of a thing. Well, yeah, you think about all these different names that are associated with very negative things that have negative common connotations, like, um, you know, smoker, slayer, assassin, reaper, you know, all of this stuff. Um, you know, all of these things are associated with common negative, you know, evil things, not something that is you know, pure and <laughs> um, fulfilling is hunting. It's so counterintuitive to what hunting is. Yeah. And so when somebody says, oh, I shanked him, well, that's that's a reference to a prison murder. So yeah. you're taking something that you love so much and you're just de- relaying to the public your feeling that it is commensurate with a prison murder. I mean, how stupid is that? Yeah. Or... I smoked it. Well, where does the term smoked it from? What's gang violence? Mm. So, you know, it's it's the craziest shit I've ever seen. And for me, I always try to be very, like, open-minded. And I always try to approach things when I'm dealing with someone that does something different from a maybe a standpoint of empathy instead of apathy. Um, to try to understand why they do the things they do and why, um, you know, they're doing things that I view as different or wrong or whatever. But for the life of me, I, I cannot understand, you know, why companies would label products so disrespectfully or people that are representing hunting publicly would you know, show the things that they show that are just, I don't know, not representative of what hunting is. And, I, and I've always tried my best to relate to others that I differ from, you know, not condemn them. Um, and I, I just can't put my finger on it. I cannot wrap my head around it because I love it so much. I just never would take that approach. And yeah, what, what there's a couple the, things that come to mind as you say this stuff. Like trying to put myself in that the mindset of somebody that would shoot a deer on and and then like fist pump and say I smoked him and then put it on social media. When I was a little kid, I was hell on chipmunks, you know. <laughs> yeah. Not because those chipmunks were harming anybody. It wasn't like they were a pest. You know, we were, we'd be going in the woodlots a half mile into the woodlot and shoot. It's not like they were burrowing into people's, getting in people's basements, you know. So there's there's probably adults out there that never get past that, the joy of killing kind of thing. And who knows? I probably did fist bump and like, you know, high five my sixth grade buddy when I made a good shot on a chipmunk, you know, like I probably did. If I look, I I don't have, I, if I think about it, probably. So there's that, there's that one thing. And then if you figure if there's a bunch of people out there that have not developed beyond 
that level, then they probably like there's a market for it. Well, if you think about it, what what's the saying? Um, uh, when I was a child, I thought you know spoke as a child or thought as a child. You know, you know that saying. I can't remember it all, but I was the same way. Most young people were that grew up hunting. You loved shooting things. I I shot birds and Tweety birds and all kinds of stuff with my pellet guns, chipmunks, anything. I loved it. Um, but as you develop and mature as an adult and life teaches you things, you know, you should evolve. And I think that you've got two things that are, well, I wouldn't narrow it down to two things, but I think a couple of the things that are happening is number one, I think that you've got hunters that started later in life. And as an adult, they're still at that stage where you and I were at eight, nine, 10, 12 years old, because we grew up doing it. But when these guys start at 40, they're still in that stage. And then the other part of it is, is either you have ignorance, um, where people just don't know any better. Uh, and you've got that com combined with people that just like to kill things. And yeah. those are people that are hunting for the wrong reasons. Yeah. And there's a lot of hunting for the wrong reasons going on. I'm glad to hear you say that. I'm glad to hear you say that as some somebody. Yeah, I'm, I just, that's awesome to hear you say that. Yeah. Well, you've got people that just want to kill. To me, that's hunting for the wrong reasons. It doesn't mean anything other. Past the kill means nothing else before or after to them, you know. Well, um, and I think there's people that 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 kill gratuitously because they know that the more carcasses they generate, the more their standing is going to increase. Well, that was that's where I was going. The okay. second thing is is that people are hunting for status among this, you know, hunting community, quote hunting industry. Um, the worst word that's ever entered entered into hunting, into the hunting space or hunting, if you will, for me is content. Mm. The word content has driven so many people to do poor things and make decisions um, that ultimately will damage the future of hunting or at least the face of hunting and, you know, how it's represented. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's hard for me to understand, but you know, you and I are both a little bit longer in the tooth than a few people, <laughs> than, yeah. than a lot of folks in the hunting industry. And you learn that 99% of the problems that you have in business and life and everything as you deal with people is ego driven. And mm -hmm. it's a, it's a dangerous tool. And when you combine that with hunting, it's uh, there's just so many ways for an ego to be, you know, the nail in the coffin for the ability our for our kids and grandkids to hunt. Oh, I think uh, that that's one that's spot on. That's why yeah. I oppose, you know, there's some daylight between us here. Like, but I I take you at your word that you're doing what you're doing with your media, like your videos that you put online stuff for the exactly the reasons that you say. But what my my fear is that even when it's tasteful that hunting social media and hunting television they generate jealousy and greed 
and competition, and that that leads to hunting for shitty reasons and privatization of wildlife. I, I agree a hundred percent with most of that. Um, so I think where you and I separate a little bit is, um, so, uh, I don't want to get too deep here, but you're familiar with Socrates and Plato, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very much. So, yeah. So Socrates was basically the father of, you know, um, uh, modern philosophy and all of that, right? Well, so, yeah, people, when the people say modern philosophy, they, they usually are talking about from Descartes onward, but he, well, he sees, I mean, they, there's definitely a distinction between the pre-Socratics and the post-Socratics. Right. So, but yeah. Socrates was a apathetic type teacher, person. He was, he condemned, shamed, shunned, that was his way to get his message across. But Plato was his understudy. And Socrates never really had the respect and fame and all. But everything that Plato learned from Socrates, he delivered the exact same messages, but he did it from a position of empathy and understanding and striving to relate to people and help them understand instead of just condemning. And so for me, that was the approach I looked at was, you know, there's plenty of guys out there condemning them. Um, I want to be the guy that says, I'm not just going to verbally condemn you for being a dipshit and ruining what I love in my eyes. I want to provide an example of if it's going to be here and people are going to see it, I don't think you can get rid of it. So I think instead of trying to destroy it, I think you try to modify it to where you can at least show an example of if it's going to be here, let's show it like this to show that it is truly something to love. It's there's romance in hunting and just being outside. Um, you know, there's a lot of self-reliance and growth that it makes a, a person a better person, you know. These things that people are showing don't reflect that. It reflect it, they show the shortcuts that you can take to whack or stack or shank or smoke or kill. Take your pictures, throw it in the truck, and then put a new sticker on the back of your damn truck because you're on team this or team that. And for me, hunting is not a team sport. T to me, it is a it is a one-on-one -on -one engagement with wildlife. And to me, there's not a there's not a, a harder thing in the world to do than bow hunt, you know, on your own, you know, against a mature animal. But the way these guys show it, it just doesn't show what it really is. So that's what we try to do is say, hey, it can be tasteful. And we're not just creating content for our egos and, you know, quote, creating content for media. We actually have a company. We're building something that is actually what you need to be ethical. It's not something just to sell and build content around and build our ego. Um, you know, if you look at our social media page, you don't see my face anywhere. There may be four pictures out of 400 of me there. The business is not about me. It's not about ego. It's about expanding the circle of people I can help become more ethical bow hunters because it's not where it's going. 
people are people are more interested in setting up their gear to take pictures of and shoot 3D tournaments and get on Instagram than what they really need to go out and be ethically, you know, be a, be an ethical hunter and quickly and humanely kill animals. Um, so that's why I'm doing it. And fortunately, the, the difference here is, is most companies are worried about bottom lines first. And it's sales above all else, sales above all costs, even if it's at the future, at the cost of the future of hunting. That's not about that for us. You know, this is a quality of life business, not a quality of bank account type thing. So anyway, I know that was a bit of a ramble, but I, I just kind of wanted to explain my position there. Yeah, I Yeah, you did a good job. I think I understand your position. We're just focused on different things. I mean, I like I say, I think that the more ta the more tasteful it is, the, the the more destructive it is because because the, more the, tasteful it is, the more it's like makes people be like, oh, I want to be that. I want to be that person, and then it becomes this competition. I, now I'm tasteful, and but I'm successful with my tasteful stuff, my tasteful images, and you know it makes me even more tasteful and get bigger stuff. Leasing up land for myself. Well, let like, me ask you a question. Do let you guys you say question. on your content? This was on public. This was on public with a draw tag. This was on leased private. Like, like. I don't, so that, that seems like every video, because that's the biggest thing. You want to tell me you're a Barney badass. I need to see the background information to even have any sense whether you're Barney badass. <laughs> right. Well, to us, we're not trying to represent ourselves as Barney badass or anything. We're just trying to show you know, we're trying to portray hunting the way we're trying to show how much we love it through what we do. And so for me, this is, this is, I think where you and I separate a bit. Um, you've spent a lot of your adult life in the West, specifically Montana, right? Mm -hmm. Vast amounts of public land. You, 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 you've My had perspective a is very much, though, a, a, a nationwide, not even nation, North American-wide perspective. Like, I communicate a lot with Canadians. I communicate with a lot of people from the East Coast. I've hunted in Alabama, shot a deer there. Yep. You know, so, like, I'm not just focused on the West. I understand. Focused on, I I'm focused on making sure that the people... That I, I'm trying to make it so that people that hunt for hide horns, personal satisfaction, meet the spiritual gratification that comes from it. That those people have some opportunity left for them. Well, I, I don't I, like pay hunting. I just hate. Like I have, I, 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 pay hunting is not hunting to me, and everything is all media, all content in my mind, is pushing towards privatization. You could have the most, you could have the be most beautiful, tasteful, respectful video imaginable, but if it doesn't say at the end, and just remember, don't lease out your fellow hunters. Don't lease them out of the game. Then, like, that's the fucking, that's the problem now. Is that. 
see, this is this is where you and I differ because I think that I think that I truly feel like the lack of experience you have with private hunting really has you off base on on what you're trying to accomplish. And let me let me let me just work through this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Lay it out. Okay. So I grew up in the South and my grandfather and I used to go buy a $5 permit to hunt all of the property that certain uh, timber companies owned. And you could go to an office and they really, the only reason they charged you $5 is they wanted you to come in there and sign a release. That's all it was. Hey, if you go out there and shoot somebody, you're not going to shoot sue the timber company. Yeah, and I'm certainly not going to balk at paying five bucks. That yeah, but just, just I told you that I hunt behind my friend's I, place. I, I know. Pay, just, I pay 25 bucks there. Okay, here, here, hear me out. Okay. Just hear me out. So I grew up hunting virtually public land because these, com- these timber companies had hundreds of thousands of acres all over the state and everybody went and got their timber company permits. And then we had our WMAs, our wildlife management areas. That's what I grew up hunting with my grandfather. And as hunting became more popular and more people got involved, um, those places became extremely crowded. It was difficult to hunt those places safely, number one, and number two, effectively. Um, And so then... All the places that we used to get just the handshake door knock permission from neighbor A, B, or C to go hunt this farm or that farm became, hey, pay me 500 bucks. And I'm just going to make sure that you and this guy and the guy from the church is one people hunting there. And then fast forward, it morphs into the hunting leases and the hunting clubs. And now that is all that is in the South. Uh, Midwest, well, I shot my deer. I, I shot my deer in Tuskegee National Forest. Tuskegee National Forest. I, I knew. I knew that's where you killed it because that's that's still the big one. And I grew up hunting there. I grew up twenty miles from there. So that good um, anymore? It's no, no. It can be, but it's better small game. Like I love rabbit hunting there, and like um, squirrel. I killed hunting, my deer like, there in ninety eight. So it's like not it's a shell of what it was in '98. No, I would say it's about the same. Um, that was pretty so good hunting. It, 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 it's still good hunting, and but but it's not like what it was when I was a kid. I guess what I would say. But neither is the public land that I began hunting in the West in '91. No, it's a different no. game. But let me just finish my thought here, okay? Yeah. So as the the public land became overrun. And then the, you had this huge privatization and monetization of hunting from private landowners. Um, what it did is it pulled a huge number of hunters off that, quote, public uh, property or the timber property, things like that. It pulled them off. And you saw more people leasing up the private land that was already somewhat private. and it basically opened up the hunting again for some of these areas. So here, 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 hear me out on this. I, I start, I hunted public land for the first time in New Mexico in 1991. 
and have hunted out west every year since then. So that is what, 32 years? So um, I can tell you that the difference between then and now is as far as pressure and people is unbelievable. Now I'm 50 years old. I could afford to lease property in the West. I would love to lease a ranch in the West for me and a group of guys to hunt. I Even can't find you would re- you would lease a ranch right outside of my town and thereby deprive the guy at the hardware store a place to hunt. Well, hear me out. I mean, I mean, so, I just think like that. That just strikes me as not, so let, so not let me, very polite so to the rest. Well, let me ask of the you. Community. Let me ask you this though: It's private land. Yeah is the is the leasee the guy making the decision to lease it, or is the leaseor, the lessor, the owner making the decision to monetize his ranch? It's both. It's both. It is. But here's the thing. My thing is is. My position, and I know this is going to be contradictory to everything you think, but my position is, is that if you see more of the private property in the West, except hunters from a lease platform, you're going to see less hunters on the public landscape because the guys that I still hunt public with, we all could afford to lease a property if we could. And that's how we have been raised and indoctrinated the last 25 years is hunting private land in the South. For me, I would rather do that and not have to add to the pressure of public land. And I truly believe that if you'll see more privatization of, well, not privatization, but more leases happen on private well, land. Well, they're the same thing. I mean, let's not, it's not. It, let's well, it's not already private land, you, so it's let, not privatization. You, you're saying you would like more privatization. No, it's not privatization if it's already private land, though. Privatization of the wildlife resource. Like, it's in, for, for all intents and purposes, when you've bought access, exclusive access to that wildlife. Yes. So let, let, me, let, me, let me further my thought, okay? So, yeah, so, you, want, you want us to become, you want the West to become Alabama. You think that that would be, an, that would be progress. I'd like block management, a program that allows everybody to hunt on private land. I would love that too, but it's not going to happen. So again, it does happen. We got 6 million acres enrolled in it here. (laughs) I understand. But think about how much property is outside of that. It's tenfold. That's outside of block management. And you think about different states and all of that, but just hear me out on this. Okay. So as Let's say duck hunting, for example. When I grew up duck hunting in Arkansas, everybody wanted to be by the, quote, refuge. There's duck refuges all over the country, right? Everybody wanted to be by the refuge. There's millions of ducks on the refuge. Well, as I became a little bit more sophisticated waterfowl hunter, being next to the refuge is the last damn place you want to be. Because those birds will not leave that damn thing and they know they're safe there and they won't come over to where you have your stuff set up. It's almost impossible to kill them. Hunting elk in the West, any other types of animals. How many times have you been on the edge of a private ranch on public and seen how these animals will stack up on this private 
And it's almost impossible to kill them on public because they're not going to leave that, quote, refuge that the private land is providing for them. If that private land is leased out and there's people hunting it, it makes the the delta between the quality of hunting between the private and the public a lot slimmer. But right now you've got all these places that just don't get hunted much. And that's basically become refuges for all of these big game species. And then you've got guys like me, and I'm not saying this in any other way of just trying to be realistic. There's guys that could afford to spend money to hunt a private ranch and not go compete for tags and space on public land. It's it's, it's, just, it's, not, it's just not hunting to me. It's just not like I, it, once you're throwing dollars at it, you might as well just pay to shoot one of the ranchers' steers. <laughs> like it just it's there's it, 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 it's like it, it's you might as well be at home playing a hunting video game. Once you pay for to pay to hunt, like I'm out there to get my meat, like by my wits. Now, do I buy a tag? Yeah. Do I drive my truck there? Yeah. But I don't want to do any more than that. I want it to be like I went out. Yeah, I bought a tag. You got to do that. I followed the rules. You got to do that. But like, if I'm gonna buy. Access why I'm just, I, I hunt for kind of utilitarian reasons. Like I'm just gonna buy, understand. A, buy a beach. I understand, but 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 you gotta I understand that va- I don't value it. I don't value that kind of hunting. I spit on that kind of hunting. I'd stay home. Like if somebody said, Hey man, I got this sweet deal on my leap, I'm gonna have you, you know, uh, this guy's gonna let us on for three grand, and I'm gonna yep. pay your way. I'm going to pay your way, Matt Ranella. I'd be like, I would, I would rather, I would rather go to work than do that. Well, see, but you got to understand that. And I'm that not is- the only one. You know who else was like me? Aldo Leopold. Here's a quote from, here's a quote from two, from 19, here's Aldo Leopold writing in the Journal of Forestry in 1919. And he's talking about, a particular breed of hunters, and I think he considered himself one of these. They hunt national forest for other reasons than merely inability to own a private shooting preserve or pay dues in an exclusive club. Regardless of the cost, there is an ingrained repugnance in the heart of many sportsmen to having their sports served to them in a spoon. There is a certain rugged independence which eschews boughten sport. So there's just, in the same way there's some people that are interested in hunting and some people that aren't. I think there's some people that think of that shit as legitimate and other people that don't. And I'm one of the that's trying to protect the little bit that's left for people that don't think that it's legit to pay for it. Well, you got, you've got to understand that. I mean, I understand what you're trying to represent and it's a different perspective than a lot, but there's certainly people that align with you that way. 
And apparently it, there was 103 years ago, four years ago. Yeah. But, the, but the thing is, is you can't compare what Aldo Leopold was doing 103 years ago versus now. Now, I will say he was spot on when it came to the monetization of hunting and the hunter and the racketeer. And I can't remember the exact quote, but the creation of the widget would be, he said, the creation of the widget uh, was more important than the pursuit of the game. Um, yeah. So he basically was condemning the hunting industry back then. I, listen, right. I am right. very familiar with his work and, and I can tell you that there's, there's different perspectives. And if you are not open-minded to the possibilities that there could be some good come out of the, some of the bad things that you view. Um, I mean, people have always had different views. People have thought these things. The mainstream moral. views have gotten us nowhere in my view though. Like well, the I, same I, shit has been being said for, for decades and decades. So like here, I just had Ben O'Brien on. I could not get Ben O'Brien to admit maybe because he doesn't believe it. I believe that the quality and quantity of not a publicly accessible non-pay hunting has done nothing but decline for agree. years. Agree. So I would say the mainstream perspective is pretty fucked if that's what you care about. Now, if you care about pay about hunting and you like things. pay hunting, maybe things are all rosy. But I no, don't but we're care talking about, about pay hunting. And my thing that I'm doing is for people that just don't like pay hunting. I understand, but we're talking about two different things. We're talking about the quality of public access property versus hating pay hunting. There's two. That's two different things. It's not the same thing. And in, no, I can it, tell it, you that if more pay hunting makes my hunting better. Great, but I just will. can't <laughs> see it. I, can't. I know you can't. I know you can't. But think about this. Think about this. Entire communities. Entire communities used to believe that burning witches was moral. The people that were suspected to be a witch, entire communities thought that burning a suspected witch at the stake was moral. Well, not entire now communities. How? Not entire now, communities. There was a lot of detractors during the Salem period. There were a lot of people that thought that that was all a bunch of bullshit. And those girls... In some sure. in some communities, yes, because there's well, no always, in Salem. I'm saying, but there's like, always there people, change. But yeah, a lot of yeah. people in Salem, you know. But yeah, yeah, but you look back at that now, and it's reprehensible. Okay, and so like for for me as an Eastern guy coming west, and I see the total distaste and aversion of a lot of Western people to the you know private leases and things like that. I look at it for only thing I can view it from is my experience on this earth and what I've seen happen in my 50 years. And what I will tell you about some of the private hunters is that there is more habitat improvement done on private land that people invest so much of their time, resources, energy, everything um, into developing habitat. It's, it is way more than what happens on public land strictly from a lack of resources but if you think about it you know like it's not just because you're paying to hunt somewhere it doesn't make it just a gimme and make it easy if everybody around you is doing oh, the same it thing makes it way easier well let, i'm going to give you i'm going to give you a stat okay so 
I've had the same group of six guys, including myself, on a piece of property for 21 years. Same six guys from different states. We, they, we all have this piece of property in Alabama. We've hunted together for 21 years. And every year, like so now in Alabama, you can kill three bucks a year. I don't ever end up killing three. I usually kill two if there's two really good old mature deer. Um, in 21 years, not a single one of my five other partners has ever killed a buck with a bow. It's not easy. It is absolutely not easy. And well, I mean, without knowing how good these guys are morons and how often they hunt. Well, there's a there's a distinction between. Stuff. Well, there's a distinction whether that's surprising or not, you know. Well, but if it was a gimme, maybe you guys just have a shit lease. No, we don't. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. Cam Haynes and and John Dudley sure don't hunt shit leases. No, no, they're shooting twenty big game animals a year. So here's the thing, Matt. There's a there's a distinct difference between a group of guys that go invest three or four grand a year to have a place to hunt. And be able to go hunt the what you know unmolested. It's just not hunting them. It's like why well, not I understand, three I understand or four grand and go buy a beef, several beef. <laughs> well, it, it's the different strokes for different folks, buddy. So, but there's a distinct difference between spending that and then spending thirty grand to go have some guy walk you up a hill and shoot an elk. You're you're putting a lot of common guys in the same bucket. Well, I, you know, I could get behind it a lot more from like people that bought up, bought up all the access. Yeah. If they, and then, and, and, and like relegated everybody else to like some little WMA, you know, like 15 miles away or whatever. Like now they got all hunting this little WMA because these fat cats leased it all out. If they shared liberally, with the hunting community, like I could get behind it a little more. Like, well, I, I'm not. I'm not advocating for leasing any kind of public access land. I'm not no, advocating I'm talking about for private. That at all. Like when you yeah. when people lease up private, especially in a state like Montana, where we have a government program that compensates landowners for letting everybody hunt, it relegates everybody else to the, some little scrap of land somewhere. I'm like a like. <laughs> It, like, I could get behind the leasing thing more if, if 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 hunters were like, "Hey, I got this lease. I'm highly blessed that I can afford it. I'm gonna I'm gonna put up a sign in the grocery store that says, "Need a place to hunt? Give me a call." And instead of you know you getting to shoot two big bucks a year on your lease in Alabama, maybe maybe uh, you shoot one little buck. But you have six or eight other people out there that don't get to shoot anything. And they get to come out and, and be involved and share in the resource, you know? Yeah. Well, you're talking of, you're talking about something that's more utopian than realistic, though. Well, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't, I, if I had a hunting lease, I'd do that. I can't, well, here, here, here. I can't afford, I'm like you, I can't afford a hunting lease. I have no kids. I have a very good salary. I live in a place where the cost of living is extremely low. I have seven acres 
My seven acres have trespassing allowed signs on them. Anybody is there, welcome there. Anytime there's a few pheasants, if you want to come out my land and hunt pheasants. If my if I had 700,000 acres, the signs would say the same thing. I just, I don't get, I don't, like, buying up exclusive access for myself is not, well, is just, I don't, I, I, I think it's rude. I think it's rude. I think it's, I think hunters need to be looking out for other hunters because like the alternative is just more of what we've had. I've had for the last 40 years, which is declining at quality, declining, declining quantity of hunting. And I think that that's, you know, my, my views might seem radical to some, to me, putting dead shit on the computer is radical. The vast majority yep. of hunters don't do it, you know? So it's like, I think that shit's radical, but I understand you think that you know, sharing your lease is radical. The alternative is just more of the same, more privatization, more it going to the people that can afford it. And someday it's just going to be because of hunting TV and hunting social media and greed and, and competition and trying to be like the, the dude, it's just going to lead to probably you losing your place in Alabama to somebody that can afford to pay more. I've lost places I before. Think that's and I mean, go, you know. Well, I've lost places before. I, I don't know where. Living in the West, you don't. I guess you don't understand what's happened in the East, or not as familiar with it. I guess I would I say. I am. I am. I. I well, it's I already happened. Familiar with what's going on. I have people on my podcast all the time. So I, that are like, when I was a little kid, I could hunt this farm, this farm, this farm. Now and they're it's already happened out. though. The problem is it's already happened. Well, yeah, well, that doesn't make it le any less egregious. It the doesn't. Black, but what uh, here's the, I'm focused on. There are a lot of people that want to hunt. There wouldn't be as many people that wanted to hunt if it wasn't for hunting content. I but agree. You guys created this, you know, so you guys created the demand for this. And then you want to suck up all the supply? No. Like, fuck. So for me personally. I 100% the happiest day of my life is if social media went away or I would be overjoyed if hunting was banned from social media. And I know that is a radical thing to say as a hunting company. But to me, I would rather see hunting go away from social media and then us having to figure out how to reach customers in an alternative way. Because I'm a firm believer in a captured audience versus an open forum. And I do not think that hunting being portrayed the way it is today should be on an open forum for all to see. I think it should be on a captured, you know, group uh, uh, where you basically it's just hunters. Um, and if uh, hunting TV was banned from television, be the greatest day of my life. So we, we align on some things, but what I would say is, is that I try to be a realist. I go back to, okay, am I going to just stand up and condemn for something that's already happened? It's almost like it, it, it's, it's, you, you're trying to plug a dam that's already broken. And my thing is, is that, am I going to try to just condemn and not do anything about it or try to relate and figure out common ground and middle ground to start to stop the bleeding. And my problem, well, not my problem, but my opinion is that 
you are you're in a very fortunate position. Let's be real realistic. You wouldn't have a following right now if your last name was Jones. Okay. It is what it Steve is. He wouldn't have a following if 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 it wasn't for me. Okay. His whole following is based around our lifetime of shared experiences. So I understand I, I, that. I, I, that, that I, I hate that. I hate that comment. Like, no, let me follow up. You. It's not just you. I hear it all the time, and I hate it. I know like, you do, but listen to what I'm saying. No, okay? no, no, no. You get my? Can you reiterate my point there? I, I understand what you're saying, but I listen. One sh- sword sharpens the other. If I'm not being transparent and black and white with you, you can't have a good discussion. Well, okay. My yeah, point, so you're like the only reason anybody's listening to me is people say your only reason you're listening is because of your brother. I'm like, maybe have you ever thought about this? The only reason your brother people listen to him is because of me. Because of y'all's lifetime of experience. He was my hunting partner until 12 years ago. Our former were spent hunting together. Let me finish my thought though, okay? Please. Yes. My thought is, is that you have an incredible opportunity because your brother decided to go into the hunting media space and develop this huge platform, okay? From that platform now, you have the ability to use that relationship with your brother for good. And that's what you're doing. That's what attracts. We don't have a relationship anymore. We're completely. That, 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 all right. Throw, beside the point. All I'm saying is, is you're 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 you being his brother has allowed you to tap into a huge audience that you wouldn't otherwise be able to start with. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So if a, so a guy named Bob Jones that starts a Hunt Quietly podcast is going to start with 10 followers and the end of the year, he may have a thousand people listening to him. You have the advantage to start with a bigger audience and make a bigger impact. And for me, I don't want to say that it's a squandered opportunity because I feel like part of what you're doing is, it's what's drawing drawn me to have this conversation with you. I think what you're doing is it, great, but in as much as you're moving towards helping me have a more positive impact, I am all ears because I am not committed to the idea that I am at all doing what I care about this publicly accessible, non-pay hunting. And if there's something I can be doing to better protect and restore that, then I'm all ears. So yeah, carry on. Well, well, I just, I think that you have an incredible opportunity to make a difference. Okay. And so like for me, you've got an opportunity to make a difference in so many categories, but your 99% focus is on public access, non-pay hunting, which is something that is, again, <laughs> something you've um, got to look out for because everybody else in media is against it. I, I don't know that. I don't know that they're against it. I, 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 I don't think I everybody think is. hunting social media and hunting TV is free advertising for people that want to lease out their land. It's, it's not just that. I guess what I'm saying is, is that you're 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 cherry picking one thing that you're passionate about that is a negative that comes from it. But that one thing is just as bad as all the other results from social media and public hunting, okay? Television and all that. Yeah, but what none of these picking, people that are doing this stuff are saying don't and 
and oh, okay, but you think that privatization is okay, so you're not gonna. It it just would be easier for me to swallow if they were like, I know this attract this con this content we're producing is attractive, um, but don't buy up all the access for yourself. I understand, but let let me finish, okay? Yeah. If there's five negative things, we're just putting a, a number to 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 quantify it. Not that there's just five. I think there's a million, but let's say there's five negative things that are equally damning to hunting and access and everything you're picking the one battle that is almost impossible to win when you could focus as much on some of the other four things to really make a difference i think you have an incredible opportunity to move the needle in several categories instead of just being hyper focused on non-pay hunting um because I don't, I honestly don't think that is the most important thing. If there's out of one out of the five, I don't think that's it. I think the aggregate is bad, but I think there's other things that are going to be more damaging and damning to the future of hunting than pay access hunting. Especially well, in the West. Not if you have zero interest in paying to hunt. That's good. Don't do it. But I'm just saying, use your platform to make a difference to really move the needle. I mean, it, it's, it, you know. Okay. So what, think, what would you do if you were in my shoes? Well, I think what I would do is, um, God, what is, what is, uh, what did Sun Tzu say? Um, I don't know who Sun Tzu is, so I'm not going to be much help. I think he was, I, I, can't, I don't want to get the century right, but I want to say he was like, a, oh gosh, it, it's an ancient, Asian warlord. He wrote the art of war. Oh, um, okay. Okay. So, so Sun Tzu said, know that, know thy enemy, like, you know, yourself. Um, and basically it is make sure you know more about your enemy as just like, you know, yourself be become as, as familiar with the opponent as yourself and you will have victories. Okay. Um, the thing is, is that, Again, it comes from that empathy, apathy into the spectrums. When you approach these people with apathy where you do not care and you have no interest in having an understanding of what or why they're doing it, there's never a way to reach these people. And I think if you come at it more from an empathy standpoint to understand why they're doing it and try to get to get a better grasp of what's pushing it, which we know a lot of it's money. Everything tracks back to money, but a lot of it tracks back to ego and things like that. So how do you how do you approach this and how do you attack, say, in a, this enemy once you understand what's motivating them? Ego, money, things like that. That's where you have to attack. You have to figure out how to reach your audience to where the audience can apply pressure and say, you're not doing this right, which hits them at their ego. Because all these people are narcissists. They are, I mean, it takes a special person to stick a camera in their face every day and talk and talk about every aspect of their life and what they're doing. And I, I'm a very private person. I don't want that. It takes a very unique human to do it. And those people live on affirmation. So if you can create a movement with your group and your following that says, hey, we've got to figure out a way to put pressure on these people 
to make them be a little retrospective about what they're doing, attack their ego that, oh my gosh, I'm not doing something right, and start representing hunting in a better way. Um, but that's just one aspect of it. But that is, I guess that's my, my opinion is, is you have an incredible opportunity. Figure out a way to deliver a message to your guys to make a real difference. You know, instead of just pounding this one thing that, buddy, I can't tell you, number one, I don't think you're going to be able to make that big of a difference, an impact. And I think it's a squandered opportunity that you have to really do some good. And then, two, I'm not as big of an opponent of the privatization or private land leasing in the West because there's a million times more public land in the West than there is in the East. And it's worked well in the East and it's made the public land almost huntable again. So I would just think about it, you know, try to be a little bit more objective about all the different aspects out there that are pissing you off and try to figure out a way to have little small battles and, you know, victories and little battles instead of trying to win just one war that you can't win. Yeah. Does that make sense? It makes sense. And I may not be right. That's just my opinion. Yeah, that's the thing. How do you know? You know, you don't. I, I would be, I, I'd be a moron, and probably yeah, I am a moron to think that I picked the the right path. But like, um, you could very well be right. I, 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 it's just something I got to devote more time thinking about but like everything that i'm doing right now is the culmination of decades of thought this is not a whim that i'm on no. I, I i've never been captivated by hunting media i've always been suspicious of it and uh now, all of my suspicions, whether you think, oh, I get, for me, like I say, my, my thing is, I don't want to see more land turn into pay hunting land. So to me, that's a bad thing. And it, 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 in my mind, it's, it's, we owe, we owe hunting promotion for that, you know? So, but yeah, I could maybe have, and still could, nothing's, I don't think I've burned any bridges permanently. I could, I could say to myself, you know what, maybe I'll chip off something a little bit more achievable and go with that. But where I just, I, I kind of have come down in this, I'm going to operate on the 1% chance that I could cause a major revolution. Well, let, we're going to buy used gear. It's like, fuck all these companies that celebrate people for shooting 20 big game animals a year on private land. Like, fuck them. We're going to buy used gear and we're going to and we're going to support little companies that don't feed into that. Well, let me let me say let me say this. I do agree with what you're saying with regards to private land and that social media and public content hunting has led to the privatization and all the pay to play. I agree with that a hundred percent. 
I would much rather it be the way it was when I was younger, when I could go down the road to my neighbors and ha- and say, hey, I've seen a great deer coming out in that bean field every afternoon. I'd love to go put a stand on that tree line and try to hunt him with my bow. Sure, go ahead. That's a dream. I would love for that. That I would truly, that, that would be utopia for me. Yeah. I'm a realist. We've gone over the pinnacle. I mean, we've gone, we've gone over the summit. We're headed down the other side of the mountain now. We've already reached the point to where hunting media, social media, hunting television has fucked hunting. It's, it's, it is screwed up as a square BB. And yeah, it's like, isn't it crazy though, that these are the, the people that have, that have constricted hunting opportunity the most are people that are idolized. It is, but you know, I, I, you know my like, you, people idolize the people that have had the biggest negative impact on their opportunity. I, so here, here, I just can't sit by and let and like let that go unsaid. I, I somebody with a saying. hunting TV a program or somebody with a social big following on social media, you've got all these disciples, millions of them that love you, but you're the one. That made it so that they have less opportunity. I agree hundred percent. I don't get that. So, so listen, I, I am I'm in agreement with you on the cause and the effect. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. That's, I'm agreeing with you there. But what I'm saying is, is that it's a dam that has burst. And so there's only so much you can do there. So, yeah. you know, when you're when you're handed lemons, you got to make figure out how to make lemonade with it. And my my point to you is is how do you how do you play the game now with the rules that you have today? Because you can't play the game that you're trying to play with the rules we grew up with 35, 40 years ago. You're going right. to lose. Right. Well, I'm trying to do something new. Like hunting TV is 40, 50 years old, uh, yeah. 85, not 40 years old, something like that. Hunting social media is only 12 years old. I'm trying to put out something fresh. Well, I think what you're going to see is a couple things happen. A lot of times, problems that you think are insurmountable are. But a lot of times, problems will start to solve themselves, especially if it's something toxic. Okay? Toxic shit can't continue. It's not sustainable. Um and I think what you're going to see is I think you're going to see the social media aspect of hunting. I think you're going to see it start to solve itself because you're going to start seeing the you're going to start seeing a lot of hunting media get deplatformed in the future. I'm a firm believer. I, I think that it's going to happen. And of course, the people that are doing it are doing it for different reasons you know, than, than what we think. But I think you're going to see this happen to where you're going to start seeing the hunting industry, if you will, the, the social media influencer crowd. I think you're going to have you're going to see them in the next four or five years have to pivot because I think that these public platforms they are they're on are going to get pulled out from under their feet. Oh, oh, so okay. Late, you're continue on. I just have lots of burning questions, but maybe you're about to answer them. <laughs> okay. So what's going to happen is, is I feel like you're going to see platforms like YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, whatever, 
I think you're going to see these different private companies deplatform things that go against their social platforms or social beliefs. Okay, because everything's going that way. And um, well, not Twitter. Twitter's huh? very liberalized. Well, it, well, well, it just did, yeah. But but you gotta you gotta keep in mind that's one versus there's there's plenty of other uh, outlets out there. But I think what you're going to see is a lot of these platforms are going to, or a lot of these different social media companies are going to deplatform a lot of this hunting stuff. A lot of the they're going to deplatform a lot of you know gun things and things like that, which I am very pro two A. I am I net. I don't even want to get into that. I, I I don't believe in any gun restriction, but that's just me. But anyway, so but yeah. back to this with hunting, stay focused. Um, I feel like that's going to happen, and it's going to be from the hunting community. It's going to be viewed as a major infringement. Uh, it's going to be viewed as a major negative at towards the hunting industry, and from a grand scheme of things, thirty thousand foot view. It will be an injustice because it's, it's, you know, it's, it's restricting freedoms from different groups, but what it's going to do, it's just what I, I feel like it's inevitable that it'll happen. And what my hope is, is that out of something bad that is going to be viewed as a very bad thing in the hunting community, I'm hoping that out of that bad, something good comes from it. And maybe it is the creation of more private platforms that are just specific to hunting groups, certain niches, bow hunters, crossbow hunters, rifle hunters, shotgunners, upland guys, maybe they create their own closed platforms that keeps it within the community and it doesn't put it out there publicly for good or bad. It's just gone. Um, we can still communicate. To me, that's a distinction without a difference because I'm not concerned about the antis. I know you're not. I know you're not. But I, 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 I think it's still going to be like now that we have a private platform where people are putting out content that inspires greed and competition and jealousy and killing for content. And I agree. Buying up all the access. I agree. But you got to realize that we're still going to have to fight for our ability to do this in the future. I'm not worried about antis either. What I'm worried about is I'm worried about having hunters that hunt for the right reasons and truly love it. Those people are going to fight to the death. All of these social media influencer flunkies that are just using it for a paycheck and ego, when it comes time to getting in the dirt and fighting for it, it doesn't mean shit to them and they're not going to fight for it. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah, they're just going to go do whatever the next easiest thing is. They'll start freaking a fitness blog page or exercise videos or whatever. If you don't love something, you're not going to fight for it. If your purpose and your passion are not the same, you're not going to be successful. And hunters that are hunting for the wrong reasons are not going to be warriors when it comes time to defend it. Mm. That is my position. Mm hmm. There's a distinct difference between a hunter and someone that likes to hunt. Big difference. Okay. Yeah. You guys make 
you make arrows and broadheads, right? Correct. Do you think that you guys align, even though the, there's differences of, visual, of opinion between you and I, do you think you align more closely with what my little group believes than other companies that build arrows and broadheads? A hundred percent. So if you look at anything that we put up there, if you look at the bottom, we put industry outsiders on everything we post. We are not a part of the hunting industry. I have never been to a hunting show, trade expo. I don't believe in creating a circus environment around hunting. Okay. And, and yeah. So, and I don't have any bedazzled jeans, so I couldn't really go to those things anyway. <laughs> I don't think they let you in without. So, um, but anyway, you know, the whole purpose of day six is to provide an alternative to what the hunting industry is cramming down people's throats as far as, you know, telling them this is what you need. Mm. So you do not need to buy a new bow every year. You don't need to buy a new bow every 10 years. They have made a 1% improvement in bows over the last 10 years. For me, get your gear, get it set up, get familiar with it, get intimately familiar with it and stick with it and spend your money on opportunity. Spend your money on going hunting, not gear. And I know that's yeah. pretty counterintuitive from a guy that sells gear, but we're selling what we think people actually need. Um, we view like an arrow, not as a disposable, um, arrow companies to date have always viewed arrows in the same vein as ammunition. It's a disposable for me. It's not, I never could afford to go buy more arrows, you know, <laughs> when I needed them. I mean, it was a stretch. Yeah. I would ride my bicycle to the Kmart. And get an aluminum arrow, buy them one at a time. They didn't have a saw there. I, everything I shot was full length. You glued in the insert. Every I shot everything I was full length till I was 16 years old. But I mean, that's just you know how I grew up. Yeah. And buying arrows one at a time. So for me, they don't they don't have to be disposables. The industry made them disposable to where they weren't durable and they wouldn't hold up. Same thing with the broadheads. They made them to where they weren't really reusable. They wanted you to go buy more after you shot something. That's not the way we view things. You, um, you, yours have replaceable blades, or do you? We do have replaceable blades, but our replaceable blades are if there's a major catastrophe. So our blades okay, you are you, hit, you you recommend we resharpen them. Okay, we resharpen That's them. Cool. Yeah, but so for me, the reason our heads are replaceable is. More from a design standpoint, it allowed me to achieve the design and the geometry that I wanted to where a one piece head, I couldn't do what I wanted to do. And okay. I couldn't be as precise. The other thing is, is that I couldn't use the material that I wanted. Like I despise replaceable blade knives. I uh -huh. absolutely hate them. If, if just you cannot. Just because of like the consumerism aspect of it, like a it's a damn shortcut. Okay. Like when I grew up, everybody knew how to sharpen a knife. Mm -hmm. Now, no one has, knows how to sharpen a knife. And we have customers say, 
well, we bought this head because the blade is straight. Yours is curved and it's hard to sharpen. And I said, you mean our blade is curved like a knife? And they go, oh, yeah, well, it looks just like the end of a knife. I'm like, well, no shit. If you don't know how to sharpen a knife, go golf. <laughs> I mean, but people have what social I'm media. I'm definitely to your broadheads. Do they shoot like a, like the thing I like about my broadheads, I you shoot G5 strikers, is it they shoot indistinguishably from my field tips. Well, they do on your bow. So every bow is different. And if your bow is tuned, you could put 10 different broadheads on there if they were the same weight and they would shoot the same. Okay. 90% of the guys out there, their bows aren't tuned or they're not executing a good shot. So, okay. well, I don't want to make it like I'm a great shot. Like, no, no, no. But what happens is, is that I people shoot, will buy I shoot different... a lot of freaking arrows. I'll tell you that. Well, I do too. I kill some shit, man. I kill some shit. I well, killed myself last year on the 19th day, my 19th day on. Well, you were telling me about that earlier, but like, you know, the reason there's so many broadhead companies is two reasons. Most guys' bows aren't tuned and they'll go through different broadheads and eventually they'll find one that happens to basically match or mask their errors in their bow and shoot okay. Okay. Oh. All right. Oh, but, that's interesting. Yeah. So then, number two, you get there, once you're there, then it's just as as good as if your bow was tuned, right? You found well, it, it, a, a broadhead that's imperfect in just the right way. That's right. It's like it's like tweaking a race car so it turns left really well, but you can't almost drive it straight, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the other reason there's so many broadhead companies, which this is I tell people all this all the time and they think I'm an idiot, but it's the truth. The broadhead is the scapegoat or the whipping post of archery hunting. When a guy loses an animal, it's always the broadhead's fault. There's no oh, way it's so fault. But I, I'd lost probably, probably, I say 10 a lot, but probably more like 15 big game animals. Yeah. And I I put the blame on of, on every one of them right here. Well, you're a unicorn. <laughs> okay. So when people said, why in the world? Yeah, they're like, why in the world would you build broadheads? There's already so many other broadheads out there. I'm like, well, I wanted to build the one I wanted. That's yeah, what I'm going to buy some of your broadheads. So, For but anyway, sure. what I, well, what I tell them is, is I said, eventually we're going to get everybody wants. So they're going to buy brand X and shoot and lose an animal. And they're going to go to the next one, the next one. It's a carousel. Eventually we're going to get our turn through the stall after they've blamed their last broadhead for losing an animal, and they're going to buy one from us. Hopefully, when they come to us, we'll have the opportunity to actually talk to them and explain to them, hey, if your bow is not tuned, if you're not executing a good shot, don't buy these. Mm. You know, it, this is not going to be the cure-all for, for your problems. you got to start with the Indian, not the bow. Mm. And, um, and that's so what it's we like, do. Almost like... It's in, in if your arrows and your broadheads shoot well out of a bow, it's an indication that both the archer and the bow are functioning properly. Well, it no, it's any arrow or broadhead, not just ours. 
if any arrow a broadhead is shooting well out of a bow, that that means the bow is properly tuned and the archers execute. Oh, I thought you were shot. saying that people keep switching broadheads because they got to find the one that matches their ideal. No, they're switching broadheads because they blame losing an animal on the broadhead, not oh, that they okay. made a bad shot. Okay. You're right. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, people think that the gear will solve their problems. They're they're going back to like sharpening a knife. Hunters are buying replaceable blade knives instead of learning a skill set. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hunters are watching all of these YouTube informational things, learning from somebody else that really doesn't know how to do it. They're just parroting what somebody else has told them. Mm -hmm. And they're using that information in the field instead of going into the field and learning your own lessons. They're not building a foundation as a hunter. They're taking a shortcut to the 10th floor. You're not going to be successful learning from others. You have got to skin your knees and learn yourself, especially with bow hunting, because it's hard and there's no shortcuts to success. But what social media promotes is all the shortcuts. Oh, yeah. That's just like you that's get the right mean. shit. If you get enough shit, buy enough shit, you'll be successful. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it's like. I would rather have, I, I say this all the time, I'd rather have a 1985 compound bow with pulleys as big around as a freaking pop can, big old aluminum arrows with one of the fletchings missing, and have <laughs> a decent place to hunt where the animals aren't completely fucking freaked out. That was my whole and, life, that you just decided to, to describe my rig for 20 years, because I would have to reuse those arrows. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. You, you know... The thing is, is for me is I want to see guys spend more time hunting and learning on their own versus embedding themselves into the industry and all of the associated accoutrements that goes with that. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I have guys that like I've I have literally invited people hunting and they said, I don't have any more vacation time that I can't come. And then you see two weeks later, they've taken four days off to go to a hunting show in another state, a show, or they've gone to one of these archery tournaments in another state, booked <laughs> hotel rooms, flown or drove, you know, spent all this money to go hang out and play hunting versus <laughs> then actually go hunting. And that <laughs> drives me insane. <laughs> It drives me insane, but I have to be, again, I try to be empathetic versus apathetic. I try to be open-minded and try to figure out what's making these people tick and how do I reach them and maybe help them move to what I feel is more in the right direction. As yeah, are. yeah. You know, it's like I, I got a little, I got a little cringy right there when you're saying it because Man, my my ice fishing has taken a major hit from this podcasting shit. Because you're doing this instead of ice fishing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I feel like but I hasn't cut it has not cut into my big game hunting, nor will it. But man, yeah, but that even bothers me. Well, nothing's ever going to cut into my hunting. That's that has been priority one over everything. Um, my wife. My mom taught my wife in first grade. I've known my wife since she was in first grade. And we started dating when we were 14 and 15 years old. And we were together 
gosh, I think nine years before we got married. You guys have and all of, huh? Do you have kids? I have two grown boys. Yeah, I have a twenty-two and a nineteen. Oh, are they and, um, my oldest is um, he's in college now uh, in Wake at Wake up in Wake Forest, North Carolina, and then my youngest son, nineteen, is autistic, and he loves being outside and he loves being at the camp and he loves the fires and campfire and the fun. Mm-hmm. He does yep. not want to hunt. Right. Um, but he doesn't have a problem with me doing it, of course. And he right. has what he eats. He, he doesn't have a problem eating it. So, but you anyway. Know, that's another thing. Have you ever read that quote from Aldo Leopold about there will always be some portion of the population that is captivated by hunting? Like it's something he says it really eloquently, but something I've yep. thought about a lot over my yep. whole life is like it's crazy to me. It's almost like it's Mendelian inherited. Like that's where it's a trait that's governed by one gene. Like, so it's real on off. Either you have or you don't. Right. I have friends that have, I have one friend that his daughter, he's got a daughter. This guy does not hunt. He's not a hunter. He's from New Zealand. And, uh, but his daughter has got the bug she loves it she's always going with me and other people friends of ours and then i have a friend that he has two daughters and he's a big time hunter all he does is hunt and fish and they have zero interest like i my the fact that i ended up with two me and my brothers all three like to hunt a whole bunch i think that's just a coincidence it could it is if an if the, a different sperm cell had gotten there first one of us wouldn't have been a hunter you know what i mean it's so weird to me but yeah well, they always you know they they, much they say hunters. that uh people can be socialized or uh, you know the socialization of of humans still can't change their nature and right. some and some people's nature is they are a hunter and there's a lot of people that have it that just don't have never had the opportunity to know that, you know, be exposed to it. But it's just like a good bird dog or a good llama. Either you're going to you have it in your nature and you're going to be it's going to be what drives you or you're not. Yeah. And, it's, and it, that's the truth, you know. And so, you know, for me, like uh, my wife said, hey, I, I don't want to be this this girl, but, you know, we've dated longer than anybody we know. And all of our friends are married. We're still not married. And I said, well, honestly, no, I, I am now. This is years ago. Oh, this is, okay. This is, okay, okay. This is 20, 27, 28 years ago. Okay. So we're, okay. you know, we've been dating nine years or something, and we, we're leaving another engagement party. And she says, they've been dating two years. We, we were, we've been around the sun a few times here. And I said, well, I've just never thought I would be married because I do not want anything to interfere with my hunting. And September 1st, every year, I'm going to be a very irresponsible person and I'm going to pack all my shit in my truck, put my camper shell in the back of my truck, put all my stuff in and I'm going out West and I'm going to be back on October 1st ish and try to get my job back or go back to work with what I, what I was doing. But I don't want that to change. And she said, you know, I'm with you and love you because of what you are. And you are a hunter. And I understand that. I'm not going to try to make you a different person. And so we, you know, we have a really good relationship. So when we started talking about wedding. I said, Hey, 
it's not, there's not going to be a wedding between September and February because that is Western hunting all the way through rabbit season. It's not going to happen. And we can have a window there in February to early March and then there's turkey season. So we have these, these little windows there. Yeah. So we got married on August 24th. And so, um, anyway, long story short, we started talking about having children. I said, okay, well, let's sit down and explain to me this. I want to look on a calendar and see when you're pregnant, if you get pregnant in what window, we'll make sure that we have a child between May and September 1st. And she said, you're an idiot. <laughs> yeah. But, you always have to get some fertility drugs and do astrosync synchronization to get it. Like, well, <laughs> it was funny because it, it was funny because it's just pure luck or maybe it's just a, a subliminal thing. But I remember we had the date. She said, OK, if I'm not pregnant by this day, we would have a child in September. So we hit that date and she said, well, I'm not pregnant. You know, what are you going to do, big guy? And I said, well, I guess I'll see you again in about four or five months. And she goes, yeah, yeah. Well, she said, we'll see how long that lasts. The this next woman, week, this woman is saintly. Oh, she's unbelievable. So yeah. the next week she comes home and she goes, you're not going to believe this. I think I'm pregnant. She goes to the doctor. Due date was August 29th. Oh, and I wow. swear to you. And my oldest son was born on August 29th. Okay. So when we flash forward two years later, same thing happens again. Same date. She's like, okay, well, you thought you were good. I said, well, I'll see you in four or five months. Next week comes back. You're not going to believe this. I'm pregnant. Due date is August 30th. And he was born on August 23rd. So I have a birthday, August 23rd, an anniversary, August 24th, and a birthday, August 29th. All of my things that I have to be with the home for is in the one week before September. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's how dedicated... Uh, how how I've dedicated my life to yeah, hunting yeah, it's yeah. revolved around it, but it's been it's been the funniest thing. People have laughed about it, you know. Yeah, oh yeah, it's, it's amazing. But we've been we've been married uh, twenty seven years, um, and so we've been together thirty five years, mm -hmm. um, and it's it's been amazing. And uh, she was so excited to move out west because normally when I go out west from Alabama, I'm gone for weeks and weeks and weeks. To where now I can hunt close to home and come home. You know, I don't have to be gone on these pilgrimages where I disappear for weeks on end. And she um, living a, a, a mile and a half off the county road. She's a country girl. She okay. loves it. Cool Our it. place is so peaceful. And just waking up here every day is just, I will say, waking up here this morning sucked. <laughs> Yeah, you tomorrow's gonna suck because I don't think I'm getting out tomorrow. I think uh, uh, I think a buddy of mine's gonna have to come in and get me with his tractor <laughs> and oh. clear our road. But yeah. um, but now we love it. It's um, I wanted to get away from the rat race and get away from you know the dog eat dog construction development world and get into this hunting space. Not worry as much about the monetary monetary side but just the you know fulfillment and um quality of life oh it uh, sounds like so. you have an ideal ideal situation for a bow hunter uh and the llamas yeah. coming in i mean it just sounds wonderful 
Um, I wouldn't have llamas coming, I don't think, if I wouldn't have the injuries that I have. Um, but I'm looking forward to it because I've always had dogs, bird dogs. Well, if dogs, you're going to go up behind your house several miles in the mountains and shoot something yep. at yep. your age, I'd say it's pretty. If you can do it now, great, but you're not going to be able to do it for forever. No, and, and I know that there's a timeline with training llamas and you've got time invested into it. So I'm kind of planning ahead. Um, I am hundreds. so looking forward to, like, if you need any help, I would love no, I'm, I'm going to pick your brain to death. I mean, yeah. it's, it's over. <laughs> yeah. So You got your saddles picked out? No, I hadn't done any that? of that yet. Okay. Well, we no, got time. We got time. Yeah. We, don't need to, we don't need to talk about that while we're recording, but I would yeah, love no to. There are a couple hanging chads. Let's do it. Like, Okay, so one is I want to invite you to uh, if you ever wanted to construct one or more Instagram posts, like it could be something like just text or something or a video about what you think we should hunt quietly should be doing. Yeah. I would post those. Okay. For comment. Right. So one thing you could consider. I mean, we're going to have this podcast out there, too, and I'd have you on again anytime because you've been a wonderful guest. Like, if people aren't interested in a conversation like this one, then I really have nothing to offer. <laughs> then, the, then the other thing is, would you mind doing this? Um, definitely want to support your company. I, like, you are obviously a thoughtful guy that has has the future of hunting in mind, even though we might have different ideas about how we protect hunting. So would you mind like making a list where you compare yourself? You don't even have to list the other brands if you don't want specifically, but right. things that care, that my tiny little audience cares about. Like what would differentiate us what from the different, others? Yes. Would you mind doing right. something like that for me? I, I don't have a problem. I, I don't want to uh, name other companies because I'm a firm believer in um, focusing and talking about what you can do and what your product does and what you're about, what you stand for versus cutting somebody else's legs off to make That's, yourself look taller. I'll cut other people's necks off. You don't need to worry about that. So that'll be your job. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, if you would just, and you can, you can focus on the, the, um, uh, how you say, uh, design features that you like, but also some of it could be just about your value system. Right. You know, well, our goal is to get people to us, um, not just to buy our gear. We believe in our gear. Basically, our stuff is what I've always wanted uh, as a 35-year, you know, 35, bow hunting for 35 years. This is my dream stuff. So I've built what I've wanted and I'm building more for others. But our goal is to get people just to us so we can talk with them one-on-one -on -one and listen to what's happening. We diagnose and tune and fix problems over the phone hundreds of times a week for guys that don't even end up buying stuff from us, but they're like, Hey, 
I've bought this and I bought that. And this is what's happening. This is where my arrows are doing. We tell them how to fix it instead of just convincing that they buy our shit. It's going to be the magic bean. Right. We tell them how to create that foundation to get their bow right and their shooting right. So whatever they buy, they're going to be successful and um, more ethical. Um, well, yeah, lay, lay all that out for me. That's all great. But I'm more interested in the parts, what you value. You know? Sure. But um, Yeah. Well, that kind of goes to our values where it's more oh, about sure. building yeah, and you selling. You don't wound and stuff. You want people to be successful, and that's good. Yeah. So... Yeah. All right. All right, Brian, this has been great, man. I yeah. uh, I really enjoyed this conversation very, very much. I have some podcasts where I'm like, I don't know, no one's going to want to listen to that, but this one is a pretty good one. So I appreciate it. You betcha. All right. Take care. You Let's bet, stay bet, in bet. touch, man. You bet. Okay. Bye.